In today's Bank to the Future podcast series, I chat with Peter Hammond, co-founder of Exto Partners. And Exto Partners are a venture capital fund that has invested in a number of Australian emerging technology companies, including uh, the likes of Airtask. Now, Peter talks about uh, their interest in fintech and DeFi and the launch of their new fund, B3V, uh, B3V.io. Peter goes into depths and details around why they're so excited about this particular space, how transformational it can be to uh, everyday economies, as well as the application use happening in the future. We join Peter now as he gives us a bit of a background on Exto Partners and how it all began. Bank to the Future with Chris Titley. Hi, it's Chris Titley speaking, and as part of the Morgan's Bank to the Future podcast series, I'm joined by Peter Hammond, co-founder of Exto Partners. Peter, thank you so much for being part of this series. Hi, Chris. No problem. Good to be here. Peter, let's talk about uh, your involvement in the Australian technology scene, as well as at Exto Partners, and a little bit of a background about it. Yeah, so we started uh, Exto Partners, myself and my business partner, Will Dean, um, back in 2003, um, and we started off just building a couple of businesses, to be honest. We, we built a range of different businesses and we IPO'd a few of those businesses and we, um, we trade-sailed some of those businesses. And then um, we had a group of investors and then we, we actually set up a fund about eight years ago, a technology uh, VC fund, and we uh, made a range of investments across Australian um, technology companies. And so that's really been what we've been focused on for the last eight years and, and we've got some... Um, you know, great companies that have, that start. We started with them very early on, and and they've grown up to be um, pretty uh, pretty large companies now, which is great. And Peter, going back to two thousand and three, what was the uh, emerging technology scene like here in Australia? Yeah, so it was early days, and I think one of the things that we really noticed was there weren't a lot of experienced CEOs. So, as I'm sure you you know and your listeners know, that um, you know the people make a huge difference. To the success of, um, of companies, especially the early stage, sort of high growth companies, and you know we were trivial to to see companies that had um, CEOs that had that experience or the capability of taking companies through, and I think that's been a real um, development over over the years. We've got some really great CEOs now that are really able to take these companies through what is often a pretty difficult process. And Peter, in regards to specialising in investment rounds, a particular segment, maybe Series A or Series B, or or, or within startups, obviously with emerging tech, there's a lot of different um, companies from B to B to B to C SaaS. What what's what does Exto focus on, and where do you think you know the future you know lies with Exto? Yeah, there are two areas that we've really focused on. One has been marketplace businesses, <clears throat> so we really like the um, those we like the seeing the marketplace dynamics. Uh, build out, um, and we've invested across a number of marketplaces, um, and I think that's the real focus of ours because we can see when you get the incentives right on both sides of these marketplaces, and you get the network starting to build, you know that can really start to drive some really serious growth. Um, so that's been one focus. The other area has been in analytics and data. Uh, we think that you know as we go into the next phase of growth, you know, data is going to be critical. It's critical to companies' ability to make good decisions and it's also, um, you know, it's, it's the way a lot of the, the earlier stage companies are really accelerating, the ones that really use data well and can do uh, leverage the analytics that they can pull out of their databases. They're the ones that can really see exponential growth. 
We've um, I, I've heard Australia described as a bit of a quasi uh, marketplace hub. I mean, from the early days, from car sales and real estate at Seek, etc., to the to the more newer ones of Airtasker and Freelancer and Redbubble, etc. You do you think that's the case? How are we going as a nation when it comes to marketplaces? Yeah, I think there are some great um, and great examples of marketplaces that have done well. I mean, Airtasker is obviously one of our large. We're actually a large investor in um, in Airtasker and. and we got involved in that right in the early days and we invested right through each round and then through into the IPO. Um, and you can really see they're, they're slightly different. Um, you know, the, the, these markets are um, global markets and I think the Australian experience through some of those earlier um, marketplace companies that have been successful and even globally they've been successful, I think that's created a lot of um, a lot of knowledge within Australia and also experience and the and the CEOs can talk to each other and really get a, a good feel to how to really accelerate those markets. And I think the uh, our understanding of how these how these marketplaces work and really getting those that incentive architecture right between the either side of those marketplaces is critical. Um, and you've got to really keep it as a marketplace. I think there is a real tendency that um, when you're starting a marketplace, it's not easy because you've got to build up both sides of the marketplace. But often companies will go down and start vetting one side of the marketplace or become more of an agency-type business rather than a true marketplace business. But when you do an agency-type business, you really restrict the growth and restrict the scope um, of the business. So it, you know, like at Airtasker, where it's completely uh, open, anybody can post a task, anybody can bid on a task, um, and that really makes the opportunity on those marketplaces really large. And Peter, before we, we delve into into fintech and, and your involvement in the sector, I'd like to ask on a personal level in regards to some of these high growth companies that a lot of people um, invest you know, reasonably early and, and, and people investing in startups, broadly speaking, is is um, is growing. Um, the, the question is, when do you sell or when do you trim some of your positions if you've seen some you know, abnormal growth or a 10x or 20x, for instance, and you, you did mention that you've been in Airtasker from, from the get-go. Was there any... Um, uh, I suppose any temptation to to trim or to sell along the way. Well, I suppose it always look you always look at what the what what's your view of the potential for that that business model and that team and that and that business. And I think um, if you believe that the business is really still at an early stage and and it's got a big market that it's addressing, and it's also the team and the technology is really proving itself out, then you know it always comes down to a decision of whether you you are willing to continue um, because you believe that the the upside is really there, um, and can you find other other opportunities to invest that would give you that same return that you can see um, in the investments that you already have? So I think that's the real critical thing. If you can see real future and real opportunity, um, and you're looking around and thinking, you know, where else could you find that sort of return? Um, that that's the biggest decision um, you need to make. But I think. Um, you know, it, it's always, you know, based on that. And, and I think if you're, um, you know, sometimes you have to trim back and, and recycle some of that cash and, and bring it into the, the next business at the earlier stage. But we've been investing probably more in that sort of Series A, Series B type rounds now. We did start off doing some very early. We were, you know, the first institutional round at Airtasky, but we have been doing some which have been a little bit further down the path more recently. Um, and so if we can take some money off the table occasionally and, and recycle it, that, that makes sense. But to be honest, Expo has been pretty, um, we've, you know, with our investments, we, we have stayed with them. 
um, and we believe that they've got huge upside. So, um, you know, but you know, as we go through the next couple of years, we'll we'll see how they pan, how that pans out. Now, speaking of huge upside, we've seen some spectacular returns in in cryptocurrencies, things like uh, Bitcoin and the Ethereum. I mean, you were talking hundreds or hundreds or thousands of times people's money from from the early stage. Uh, we are on the the Bank to the Future podcast series. I'd like to chat about what Exto is doing in in that space and a little bit about more about what you're up to. Yeah, so um, you know, when we're focusing on marketplaces, we look at the blockchain sector and you know it, it really is an amazing um, market that, that these um, these companies are working in they're global global marketplaces and I think what we've seen I suppose after the last few years is this real exponential growth in opportunity and a lot of companies coming out that are really focused on the on the blockchain and, and building their technologies linked into the blockchain for um, you know, I think the blockchain is really going to change the way we we own our assets, um, the way we uh, finance those assets, and I think the way we actually trade those assets. And at the moment, you can sort of see it started off, you know, with these um, with, with the different coins, and you know, obviously Bitcoin started up, and that got a, a real um, following. But then when Ethereum came in, uh, with Ethereum blockchain came on online, and then they had these smart contracts which you can build into the Ethereum uh, chain, which really enables you to structure lots of different things on that chain. And that's really opened up the opportunity for, for expanded DeFi, um, DeFi pools to be developed and, and lots of different products in the financing side of, of these assets. And also, I think now you can start to see things like these NFTs that are coming out, which are non-fungible tokens, um, which are really contracts um, showing the ownership of assets and how you can then trade those assets and finance those assets um, through the blockchain. And I think when that, as this develops, and I think the types of assets that you can see going onto the blockchain are rapidly expanding. So we saw the art type pieces that came on, coming onto the blockchain. We saw the um, with the membership type tokens and, and reward type tokens that are coming onto the blockchain. Um, and you know there there is I, I I can see a future where you start to have real assets coming onto the blockchain. We've got a token to a real asset, and then that token can be uh, financed through some of these big DeFi pools, and then you can trade those assets um, on these big exchanges that have developed. And and the volumes that are going through these exchanges and the the size of the DeFi pools um, are growing astronomically. And and I think there's a real opportunity for that to expand over the next sort of five years five to ten years it's going to be huge huge and, opportunity yeah and, and, and peter there's a lot of talk about the the phrase web 3.0 in my eyes you've just sort of described a banking system really i mean the next sort of level of yeah. banking system where you, you you've got an asset or a token that's worth something and you can lend money off against it and you can trade it and transfer it and there's ledgers etc i mean there's a couple of things at play here and one one being as you said the 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 ongoing transformation to smart contracts but in the background you've got what is it probably a quasi banking system or a, or a, or a ledger history of, of of assets i mean what's going to stop this playing out is it regulation is it, is, it, is there anything that can stop it is it web 3.0 are we going to be living you know scanning codes on our artwork at, just to, to check its authentication in the future i mean there's lots of applications but you must be seeing a few already yeah i mean i, I think the fundamental thing about the blockchain is that the the ledger is public. So 
So you have a ledger which is public and you have this ledger which is, you know, multiple versions of the same ledger which makes it very hard to to um, to cheat that, that ledger. And I think when you actually do transactions on the blockchain, you can see you do a transaction and you can go in, as you did on the Ethereum uh, chain, you can go in and you can look right onto that chain. You can see all the detail around that transaction that you've done. Um, and so that's all public. I mean, one of the issues is that um, what's not public is necessarily who the players are in that in that um, in that environment. So you know the you know the transactions because it's all public and it's on the blockchain, but you don't always know who the other person is. So I think that's where the regulation is really coming into. How do we make sure that the people who are who we're dealing with are actually um, you know all good players and 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 they're the right people to to be working with? I think there's a lot of work going on around obviously AML and, and, and that, but there's also a lot of work, a lot of technologies coming out which are really scanning, allowing investment managers like us to um, scan through who are the who are the bad bad operators and making sure those bad operators, when they start trading with other players, they start to connect the bad operators and put them into a group which we can run through and make sure that we're operating outside of those of those players. So I think there's a lot of work coming around that side which is going to enable um, you know, good actors to to operate safely um, on the blockchain, and that's already starting to happen. Um, but I think regulation is going to have to come in around that that side of it. But I think predominantly this thing is getting so big that I can't see it changing. I can't see. I think the regulators have to catch up and have to work out how to manage it and keep it safe. But it is it is moving so quickly, and there's so much volume going into it that I think it's going to be very difficult. Um, just it's definitely not going to stop. It's just a matter of how do we manage through that that this emerging and this growth phase. And when it comes to investing in the sector, and a, a lot of people um, have chatted about what you would do if you had to invest in Internet 1.0, would you know Amazon is a company you would have invested in, in in trying to disrupt books. You would have invested in YouTube where the internet speeds are very slow, and you're thinking, oh my goodness, there's no way this would work. I mean, looking at Web 3.0 or the or the DeFi or blockchain applications per se. Where do you start, and where do you start thinking? Oh, I'm going to take a bet that this is going to be the next big thing. You might get the MySpace, not the Facebook, but that's okay. But you know, how's this going to evolve? And, and in terms of deal flow, how are you accessing it? Yeah. So the first thing um, is that we've actually teamed up with um, with um, uh, Matty Saduka, who is a, a um, Investor that has been in the blockchain space for you know a number of number of years, probably you know the last four or five years, and he started off in in the in working with some of these large metaverses. So one in particular called Decentraland, and he was working with the founders of that of that um, that company or that environment, and he started helping them you know trade some of the um, the virtual land um, in that environment, and he got quite heavily into um, not only other coins that were coming out, but looking at different companies that were coming up into the um, in, in through the, the network. And he built a quite a large community. Um, he has about 145,000 followers on his Twitter. So he's, a, he's quite a, a bit of a, um, uh, got a lot of following within the, within the market. Um, and he's recently started another pro another project called the MetaKey, which is a, an NFT, which is essentially a membership NFT, and people who own those NFTs can um, can take those when they go into different environments, they get certain benefits. So he's building that out at the moment, and that's growing quite quickly. But he has this 
this group of um, people that are that are coming to him to get advice, um, help help them work out how to market their product and market their their project, and also link up with the Medicaid. So he's got a very big deal flow coming through of these companies that are really starting to emerge. In addition to that, um, we've got relationships with some of the large investors, the blockchain investors around the world, and some of the large platforms around the world. So we're looking at projects. They're providing deal flow to us of projects that they see that are starting to build on their networks, and they're saying these are probably the ones that we can see starting to move and we should be talking to them. So that, that's a great source of um of opportunity for us. And then we're also providing them with opportunities for, you know, early stage companies that are looking to build on their platform or, you know, move into their environments where they've got um, big investments. So I think that relationship allows us to get in early, find the ones that are starting to really show true um, true growth, um, and also really understand how the market is really evolving because it is moving extremely quickly. You have touched on a couple of um, uh, a couple of times the sort of loyalty, community rewards. Can you sort of paint a one hundred and one picture for the person out there on on how that works when it comes to to applications? I mean, we, we've obviously got loyalty programs in real life, and and you spend, and people get the data, etc. I mean, what, what's the what's the play and the angle here when it comes to loyalty and bringing community? And, and it seems like a bit of a fascinating space. Yeah, it definitely is, and I think. I mean, any of these projects, when we're looking at them and seeing what projects we should be investing in, the first thing we're, we're really focused on is how is this project tapping into some of these big online communities which are building out? And if you look at just a coin, like a fungible token, like a, a cryptocurrency, um, you're looking for, you know, how is that currency really being used? What are the demand drivers around that, around that, um, around that that cryptocurrency. So, how is it being used in the environment that that it's being established on? What are the what's the um, what's the utility of it, and what's going to drive the demand side of that of that coin over time? And is that company or is that that project really building into a large community that will need to use that coin, and and that'll that'll drive the the value of the coin over time? That's one aspect of it. The other one is the non-fungible component to it. So what's, what we're seeing happen on the non-fungible tokens is where they started with sort of art pieces where you were, you know, you're selling an art piece. What has really evolved is, you know, you've got these communities being, I mean, even Board 8 Yacht Club, um, which, you know, people who own those, those NFTs, they get certain benefits. They get invited to certain things. They get, um, they get, you know, free things for going into some environment or if they participate in something, they get something additional for, for participating. So they're, they're not really the art pieces. What they are is they're communities which are being built and they're being built using NFTs as sort of like the, the token or the membership token. And that's similar to what, what Maddie has built with his MediKey. So he's, that's a great example of the way they're, they're operating. And he's, so he's released NFTs and he's built um, a community of people who own these NFTs, and then he's doing deals with um, all of the, the different platforms to say, okay, if this community came into your environment, you know, what would you give them? Um, and there might be some benefit that they would give, give to them, so therefore he can offer that back to those, those um, holders of the NFT. And so the NFT has this intrinsic value being built up in, in the value of what it gets when it goes into different environments. And I think this model is something that's going to really evolve, and then you can, you know, take those communities into different, different, um, 
different companies or different projects. I mean, from a, a big company point of view and, and things like Amazon, and I note recently that Facebook have um, changed the name of their potential coin and then the, the head of the digital payments has sort of left. I mean, is this something that, that each large company will do? They might have their own type of coin. So you have an Amazon coin, for instance, and therefore if you're an Amazon, you have an Amazon coin, you get 20% off and, and further things. Are you seeing that that play out or is this completely new new companies, new coins, new loyalty, new communities? Yeah, I, I suppose I, the, the underlying I, question yeah. is where does big tech play? Yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think big tech big tech is seeing little tech come through really quickly, and so they're to some extent playing catch up and working out how they can operate within this new environment. And I think um, you know they're, they're really working out how that how that can happen and how they can play in that market. Um, but I think there are some really advanced groups. Um, Square, I think, is obviously moving, calling itself Block, um, and I think. You know, those sort of networks where they've got a huge user base and they can start to, um, you know, have that user base start to transact through a, a coin, which is then going through a, you know, a blockchain environment makes a lot of sense. And I'm sure that's where they're heading and they're, they're looking at ways in which they can, they can do that. And I think that's where it really will change once these big communities are using these, uh, a token to, to, um, to you know, make all these payments or a cryptocurrency that they're using to make payments within that environment, I think that is definitely what they're thinking about and trying to work out how to do that. So I think what, what also they're worried about is these small companies moving very, very quickly and building communities um, you know, super, super quickly. And do you see, I mean, big tech, um, you know, Facebook acquired Instagram after 12 months and everyone was shocked at the time and, 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 and the dollar price tag on it. And then you had, um, you know, things like YouTube acquired by Google, you know, reasonably early on, for I think $600 million. And it's like, you know, why are they doing that? But that's a huge number at the time. You, do you think there'll be some, some large acquisitions in the space and some of these early stage companies that may only be around for 12, 24 months being, being acquired by big tech for big numbers? I'm sure they'll be looking at that, doing that. Uh, I mean, they're already doing it, and, and I think they'll be looking at one of the one of the I suppose one of the things that they've got to look around is that you know some of these companies are becoming enormous. I mean, OpenSea, for example, had a valuation of ten billion dollars just recently, and that that is you know that the volumes on on OpenSea, which is where you trade you know non fungible tokens, um, you know that that um, uh, that marketplace, you know, was probably in the last 12 months is really where it's seen the volume go from, you know, not that much to like $3.5 billion a month yeah, wow. going through it in, in sales of NFT. So these companies are really starting to have massive valuations. So, um, you know, getting in early is what they'll have to do because otherwise some of these, these companies will get too big. Yeah, excellent. Peter, thank you so much for that chat today around it. All very fascinating, very interesting and, and very new. It does feel like it's it's very early days in terms of the, the application, the entrepreneurs around it trying to create applications using a new method, using you know smart contracts and, and things that people aren't really familiar with. But it's all very exciting. I really appreciate the, the time that you've taken out to give your expertise and certainly some understanding of the sector. Um, really look forward to, to catching up in six or 12 months' time to see how, how the funds go going and how the performance of some of these businesses are going. As you said, they're moving it at light speed. So hopefully, um, hopefully there's some winners in there. Great. Thank you very much, Chris. Good to talk. 